Uh, we've been looking at the, the book of Matthew the last couple of weeks, looking at the greatest sermon ever told. And it may surprise you that that wasn't by me. Uh, this was uh, the first sermon recorded from Jesus' ministry. And uh, I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been kicking my backside for a couple of weeks now. And uh, it's going to continue to kick our backside today. Uh, excited to, to be there. Matthew chapter 6. As we start thinking about that, uh, I was thinking something you may know about me is, is I like dogs. Uh, I'm a dog person. And uh, nothing wrong with you cat people, but I just prefer um, uh, animals you can train. And uh, so one of the things I was working, you can train a cat. I don't, I've never seen a trick cat do a trick. One of the things I noticed this week with my dog, we've got this, uh, uh, we've got this Labradoodle who is a little over a year old. And our Labradoodle is a really good dog. She's a smart dog. And I can stand in front of her and I can say, sit. And she'll think about it. She'll think about it. She'll, you know, well, uh, you know, let me, you know, see what's going on. But it's very different because if I have a treat in my hand and I say, Piper, sit, boom, that backside's on the ground. Because there's something about having uh, a reward. There's something about a motivation with a dog. Now, obviously with a dog, the goal is that you train the dog to where they no longer have to have the reward or the motivation. You want the dog to learn just to do what you say to do. But man, that motivation... That, that treat, that dog will do anything for that treat. You know what's weird is you and I, we're, we're not so much different than pets, right? Right? Like we, are, we are, 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 are led by motivation. I mean, I think about this with, with, with your kids. You see this at a very young age with kids where you're sitting with your kids and, and we had this trampoline for, for a long time. And, and I could be sitting in the backyard and doing whatever. And my kids are going to jump on the trampoline and say, Dad, watch me. And they jump. And there's not really many things you can do on a trampoline. You just jump. And my kids, Dad, watch me. And they jump. And I'm like, oh, good job. And then I, Dad, watch me again. And, and again, and again, and again, and again, because your kids have this desire to be noticed. Your kids have this desire to, to have uh, dad watch. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for applause. They're looking for acceptance. You guys have seen this happen, right? This is what kids do. They're looking for these things. They're trying to impress. They're trying to feel loved. And you know what's it's funny is, is that happens with pets and that happens with kids but it also happens with adults, where we are often motivated by acceptance. We're motivated by, uh, we have this longing deep inside of us to, to, to be accepted, to be welcomed, to be loved, to be uh, all these different things. And so what happens oftentimes is we begin to conform p- to peer pressure, because we want that applause. We want that acceptance, and, and, and we want that recognition. And so, you know, again, what does it look like for an adult Maybe some of you men will, will know what I'm talking about, where maybe your wife is gone, and you think, well, I'm going to clean the house for my wife, and I'm going to do the dishes, and I'm going to make dinner for the kids, and I'm going to make sure the kids shower. And we've got five kids in our family, so like that's a circus trying to get five kids through the shower. And uh, it gets to the end of the day, and your wife comes home, and, and she doesn't say anything. And you're like, wait a second. Like, where's my recognition? Like, I did all of this, and the least I want is some sort of recognition of, oh, honey, thanks for taking care of everything. You know, you're such a good husband. You know, uh, go ahead and lay on the couch the rest. I, come on, I'm not the only guy that does that, right? We, we blow our little trumpet because we want our recognition. 
fact, this is how our society is based. Our society is based on, on reward. Our society says you go to school, you earn a grade, you, you do the assignment, and you earn a grade. You get a reward. We go to work, we put in our 45 hours, and at the end of the week we expect a paycheck. And so we do things and we have a motivation to get something in return. And here in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to do a little bit of a transition from where he's been. We've looked at the last couple of weeks where Jesus has been dealing with things that we should not have in our life. Some things that we need to remove from our life. We've dealt with, with anger. We've dealt with lust. We've dealt with dishonesty. Uh, we've dealt with uh, hatred and bitterness. And these are things that we should have removed from our life. And, and Jesus has been talking about these things. But here in chapter 6, there's going to be a little bit of a transition where instead of talking about things that shouldn't be in our life, Jesus is going to begin talking about things that should be in your life. He's going to be looking at a couple of uh, what we would call spiritual disciplines. These are things that Christians, hey, if you have a relationship with God, these are things that you should be doing in your life. He's going to look at, the, uh, look at giving and, and praying and fasting. And he's, Jesus is absolutely saying, these are good things. But he's going to show us something deep here. He's going to show us that it is, a, it is possible for us to do bad while we are doing good. You get that? That we can actually do bad while we are trying to do good. Because you see, this idea that Jesus is going to continue in chapter 6 is the same idea he was dealing in chapter 5. Remember in chapter 5, it wasn't just the outward action that made us guilty before God. It wasn't just that you have a sibling and you want to punch him in the face and you punch him. The, The punching isn't what makes you guilty before God. It's the anger in your heart. It's what happens inside that starts. And just as adultery is wrong, and obviously that makes you guilty before God, but Jesus says, man, the lust in your heart makes you guilty before God. Making the point that God's not just concerned with our outward actions. What God wants is our heart. And this is where we look at, as Christians, life in the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God is always about the motive. It's always about the intent of our heart. And Jesus recognizes. He knows that we have this longing in our life. He knows that we're, we're born this way. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. He knows that we are going to like hearing the uh, applause of the crowd when we do something good. And he knows that there's going to be a temptation for us when we start doing these good things, these religious things. He knows there's going to be a temptation for us to do those things, not to please God, but so other people look at us and say, look, you're so good. You're a good Christian. You're a good Christian because you do those things. He knows there's going to be a temptation for us to do good and have the wrong motive. To have the motive to be applauded and accepted and people to think so highly of us. And so Jesus, because he knows that, he's going to give us three examples here that we're going to look at today. Three examples that teach the same thing. And we're going to look at these three spiritual disciplines. We're going to look at giving and, uh, giving and praying and fasting and and. We're not limiting this to those three spiritual disciplines. These three spiritual disciplines uh, act uh, as a way to represent all the other things we might do to serve God. But the, the, the idea is they all teach the same thing. That just as you and I, we are not righteous by avoiding uh, forbidden actions, he's going to teach us that you, are not, you and I, we are not righteous by, by doing certain religious activities. What it's going to teach us is that your motives matter to God. The motives of your heart, they matter to God. The reason you do these things are going to to matter to God. 
So with that, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer, then we'll, we'll, we'll jump right in. God, just thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here today. Thank you for uh, the church. Thank you for this uh, beautiful building to meet in. But more importantly, God, thanks for the opportunity to be gathered with your people. And Lord, I pray that you would allow your spirit to rest on us, that you would draw us deeper in love with you. That, God, you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would challenge us through your word. As we look at this uh, greatest sermon ever told, that, God, you would continue to, to shape us and to mold us and to, to knock off our rough edges, that we would look more like you. God, I pray that you would take this time together today and that you would uh, grow us in it, Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and here's, here's what Jesus tells to us today. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, if you were just to look at that one single verse, that one sentence right there, Jesus is seeking to spare us a lifetime and possibly an eternity of disillusionment. Of, of dissatisfaction with our life. Because again, Jesus, he, he was once like us. He lived the earth. He, he, he understood what it was like. He understands that we have this temptation uh, and the struggle to have love and to acceptance and, and to hear the applaud of, of you're such a good person. And he knows that we, as human beings, we often are too concerned with what other people think about us. And oftentimes that becomes a motivation for what we do. He knows that we can sometimes be bad when we're trying to do good. And so Jesus just makes a statement that should just knock our socks off. He says, beware of practicing righteousness. Beware of doing religious activity in order for other people to think you are a good person. Or to be accepted by them. And, and this statement that he makes is an absolute statement. Uh, now, I, typically when I'm talking to couples, I say you can't make absolute statements. An absolute statement is like this. Let's just use Jake and Debbie as an example. For, for, for Debbie, she could say, Jake, you always leave your socks on the floor. Jake, you, you always, he does. Now, this is, a, this is marriage counseling 101. Here we go. We don't. I do not recommend using those absolute statements of you always, you never, because you're closing the discussion. You are, uh, you are saying, that's probably not always the case. I imagine there was one time three and a half years ago that Jake did pick up his socks. And so that statement, it really closes discussion. It puts up defenses. It's not a fair way to, 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 to dialogue. Yet Jesus uses an absolute statement right here. He says, listen, if you do good so that you fit in, if you do good so that you are approved by other people, so they think that you are righteous, here's his absolute statement that you will have no reward from God. If your motivation is for people to think that you are righteous, to think that you're a good Christian, if your motivation is so people will like you, then you have no reward from God. It is possible for you and I to pray for our enemies and have no reward from God. It is possible as a pastor for me to stand up and, and preach the word of God like an angel and have no reward from God. It is possible for us as, as the church to do the work of the church, to care for the sick, to, to care for the poor and the broken, and it is possible for us to have no reward from God. Why? 
because it is possible for us to do those things not for God's glory, but for the recognition and the praise and the approval of people around us. And that is what Jesus is trying to deal with today. This is terrifying when you think about it. This is terrifying. Think, think about that. Think about how you and I could literally live our entire lives that appear completely dependent on, uh, upon God. That we can live our entire lives and in the end have it count for nothing. Just let that sink in for a minute. That you and I could be busy about doing religious things, about going to church services, about listening to Caleb, about doing religious activities, and doing all this stuff, and in the end, still have it count for nothing. In fact, there's a story later in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, where some people arrive at the gates of heaven, and they arrive, uh, they approach God, and they're like, hey God, what's up bro? Yeah, remember when I was on the earth? Remember all those things I did for you? Like, like Jesus, remember, you know, I, 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 I preached, I cast out demons, I did ma- many mighty works, I went to the Christian concerts, I, I did all those good things. Like, like, God, aren't you so happy that I'm here now? And it says that Jesus' response was, depart from me, for I never knew you. You're saying, well, how is that possible? How can someone be so consumed in the Christian subculture and do all these Christian things, yet Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. Again, it goes to your motivation. If our motivation is to be thought of as being a religious person, if our motivation is to be accepted, do people think we're a good person? then our reward will be just that, human affirmation. It will not be any reward from him himself. Listen, these are hard words trying to spare us from that moment of meeting our maker someday and him saying, listen, you did nothing for me because you had an ulterior motive. See, you and I are too valuable for God just to be silent on this issue. And that's why he's given us this warning today. And Jesus is going to give us three examples of this. We're going to look at an example of uh, uh, giving, an example of praying, and an, an example of fasting. Uh, you're going to see these in, in verses uh, 2 through 4, 5 through 8, and 16 through 18. And I want you to notice something. If you look in these verses, and you look at these things about giving and praying and fasting, never is a question if you do those things. When you look... You look at verse 2, Jesus says, when you give to the needy. In verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. These are spiritual disciplines. These are things that Christians should absolutely be doing in their life. And let's clarify that. It's not if you do these things. It's when you do these things. We should be giving to the church. We should be helping to those in need. We should be praying. We should be fasting. The issue that Jesus is going to deal with is what is your motive for doing those things. Second thing that we're going to see before we jump in and look at these examples is you're going to see this term hypocrite used three different times. You're going to see this word hypocrite in verse 2, in verse 5, and verse 16. And Jesus is basically going to give us an example and say, don't be like the hypocrites. This is what the hypocrites do, and this is the way that you should do it. Now, this term hypocrite actually comes from uh, an old word that basically means an actor who puts on a mask to pretend to play the part of somebody else. We can exam- understand that. 
Now, obviously, in our day and age, when you hear the word hypocrite, we don't really think of an actor. We think of somebody who's two-faced, somebody who has a different thing. But, but the principle still makes sense. That somebody, as a hypocrite, they put on a mask to be something they are not. In fact, if you were to ask me, in this case, what is the definition, I would say a definition of a hypocrite is somebody who's going to put on a mask uh, to appear more righteous than they really are. They're going to put on a mask to, be, to uh, look like a better Christian than they really are, to have it all together. And so, so this, is, this is what it looks like. We've talked, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in chapter 5, where somewhere in the last 2,000 years, some person, I don't know who it was, they came up with this idea that if you're going to be a good Christian, that you have to have your life all together. I don't know who made this up. It's not in the Bible. But somewhere a long time ago said, if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to have your life all together. You can't have any sin in your life. You can't have any junk. You can't have any brokenness. And because somebody said this, over the last 2,000 years, Christians have been doing this for a long time. They've been getting masks just like this one. This happened to be the one I found on Amazon, and I was really looking for a chance to buy it. Where instead of acknowledging that we have some brokenness, we put on the mask. And we say, rather than dealing with my junk, I'm going to fake it. I'm going to hide my anger. I'm going to hide my lust. I'm going to hide all those things in my life so people think I'm a good Christian. And this is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. I, do not take a picture of that, Dana. I see your phone up. <laughs> Listen, in chapter 5, Jesus dealt with this idea head on of wearing a mask. Jesus said, listen, I came to give you life, and not just to give you life, but to give you abundant life. He said, I came to give you freedom. Listen, when you're wearing a mask, that's not freedom. You're phony, and you're trying to live two different lives. And Jesus said this, he said, listen, when you acknowledge your sinfulness, when you acknowledge the brokenness of your heart, that you don't have it all together. Listen, when you acknowledge that, that is when you can receive the forgiveness from Jesus. And that allows God not just to transform your outward actions so you look like a better person, but God begins to transform your heart. So that way, that what you say you are actually is who you are. That is abundant life. That is freedom. And that's what Jesus has come to give us. In chapter 5, it's the same thing. Where that person so many years ago said, listen, if you're a good Christian... You're going to go to church and you're going to do all these religious activities. And we think, well, I want people to think I'm a good Christian. So we walk into church and we put our mask on. Here I am again. I'm a good Christian. I'm at church. Oh, the church is going to do, I'm going to do that because I want other people to think I'm a good person. I don't want to acknowledge where I'm really at. So I put a mask on. And how many people in the church live life with a mask on? Trying to look the part. Trying to get other people to think, man, that person's really spiritual. I wish I was like them. How we do it for the applause. We do it for the acceptance. We do it so people have a better opinion of ourselves. Because maybe we don't have a good opinion of ourselves to begin with. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to deal with right here. He's going to say in verse 2. He says, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their, world, their reward. Again, it's, it's not about if you give to the needy. 
It's when you give to the needy. The expectation is that we are doing this. He's saying when you give, don't blow the trumpet. Don't blow the trumpet so everybody notices how great you are and how sacrificial you are in your giving. Like, I, I'm not really sure if, if back in Jesus' day they really had a trumpet. And as they're putting the offering and they're blowing the trumpet, everybody look at me. Do, 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 do. I mean, I don't know if that's what it looked like in his day and age. I, I think they had trumpets that would kind of like the bells that you used to hear ringing in, 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 for church time. Like you'd ring the bell and people would know, oh, it's time for church. So maybe the trumpet was, hey, it's time for church. All the people are going to come. And when all the people are there, that's when you want to put your money in the offering. You want everybody to see just how, how, how religious you are. And look, I'm going to put this offering in here. I don't know if that's what it looks like today. Probably looks a little different. Where people give to the church and they think, well, do you know how much I give? That means that if you start using uh, church money, if you start spending it differently than I think you should, well, you know, because I give so much, I should dictate what happens with the budget. I should dictate where the money goes. This goes where people say, well, well, I gave so much money, so I want a plaque on the wall. In fact, I want this bench to have my name on it because I give so much money to the church. This is looking for recognition for, your, for what you do. This goes into, uh, I was thinking about this. We have man camp uh, coming at the end of April. And uh, I think early registration ends possibly this week or next week. Uh, the 25th. So we got uh, two weeks to, to sign up for man camp to get the lower rate. I encourage you to sign up. It's going to be a great time. There's a bunch of guys that are going to be going with us. Uh, sign up. We'll get you figured out for transportation. But man camp is going to be held at, at a campground called Washington Family Ranch. I thought that's an interesting name for a campground. Like, how does a name get called? How does a campground get named Washington Family Ranch? I'll tell you how it gets named Washington Family Ranch. If you donate $30 million to Young Life, you get, you get a campground named after you. Now, I, I'm not going to say that's why the Washington family gave that $30 million so they'd have a campground named after them. But isn't that part of what we do? We give so much money, and we want to have that recognition. We want the reward. We want people to notice what we did, how sacrificial we were. And Jesus says in verse 3, he says, instead, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, money is just a sensitive issue, especially when you get into the church. And I'll just tell you straight up, you know, Jacob and I, we don't, we don't have access to who gives what. We don't know who the big givers are and who the lower givers are. We don't, we don't know that. And sure, maybe there's an idea of, of, of that's good for accountability, but, but let me tell you why we've chosen not to, uh, to, to know those things. It's because we want to view people and we want to love people just to love them. We don't want to cater to people because this person gives more money and we want to make sure they're happy. No, we just want to love people the way that God has called us to love people. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are black or white, or, or, or whether you are whatever, we want to love people the same because that's the way that God views it. God doesn't love you anymore because you do more than somebody else. No, his love is the same. And that's, what we, that's the way that we, as, as a church, want to love people, where it doesn't depend on whether you're a big giver or a small giver. We just want to love people. And let me just say, uh, you know, if you are not giving to Restoration Church, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm going to invite you to, to join the cause of what God is doing here at Restoration Church. Whether your giving is, is large or little, 
Man, this is an idea that we have an opportunity to invest our resources. Not to, to build a great church, not to get a name on the wall, but we have an ability to invest our resources in kingdom work of lives that are being changed right here at Restoration Church. And that's pretty remarkable. So if you're not investing in that, man, I'd encourage you, wherever it is for you, a little bit, a lot, just make a choice today to invest in the kingdom of God, to be a part of what God is doing. On the issue of praying, Jesus says in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And when your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father uh, knows what you need before you even ask. See, in Jesus' day... You had these religious leaders or these people that would walk around the streets during the day. And, and when it became time to pray, they liked to be in public places. They wanted to be at the street corners where everybody could see. They wanted so, so people could recognize them and, and see what they were doing. So that they would pray these loud theatrical prayers with really, really big words. Like King James type words. Like, oh God, thou. Oh God, art. And they made it sound really spiritual and really religious. In fact, sometimes he even prayed these, uh, these uh, prescribed prayers, kind of like mechanical prayers, where they would just repeat the same things over and over and over again. Because again, they wanted people to see, man, this guy's really spiritual. Look, look, I, I want to be like them because they're so, they're so close to God with the way that they pray. Listen, what Jesus, is, it's not, he's not saying it's bad for us to pray in public. He's saying it's a motive as to why you're doing it. Like, I'm not sure any of us are going to pray in the street corner. I don't think, again, culturally, I don't think that's what we do. But what about this? You ever, you ever go to the restaurant and think, oh, yeah, we're, we're in public. We need to make sure we pray before this meal. And did you pray before breakfast the morning before that? And this is when it gets a little bit serious. And people are around, hey, let's stop and make sure we pray. But do you pray on your own? We'll pray at church, because we're at church. That's what you're supposed to do. But do you pray in the morning by yourself? Again, this goes to our motive. This goes to the motive. Third example that Jesus gives us is about fasting. In verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this idea on fasting, uh, as a church, we haven't probably talked enough about what fasting is. So I thought I'd just take a quick second to tell you uh, what that looks like. Imagine, imagine your own life. Imagine you've got a big decision coming up. You've got something big going on in your life. And you think, you know, this is such a big decision, a, a, a direction, a, a circumstance in my life. I really need to spend some time and get God's direction on this. I need God's input. I need to be praying about this. But the problem is, at least for me, is, is I've got that big thing coming up. I need to be praying about it. And I'm, I'm going to pray all day long. Well, then I get to work. 
Uh, there's all these fires at work. There's all these things happening at work. And, 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 and then I, you know, I get home and I've got these kids and we've got baseball practice and all these other things. And it gets down to the end of the day and I'm laying in bed and thinking, man, where'd all my time go? Like I, I was going to pray about this today and, and my life just got so busy that I, I totally forgot to do it. And so what fasting is, is for a, a period of time, you choose to uh, avoid certain things. Maybe you avoid food. That's probably the common one. You, maybe you choose to fast and say, I'm not going to eat today. Maybe it's, it's fasting from uh, your phone. Maybe that's something. You've just got to be off your phone for a day or a season of time. And here's what happens when you're fasting. Every time you feel that stomach begin to rumble. Every time you go to reach and grab the Kit Kat bar or whatever it is. That becomes a reminder to you, oh, I need to stop and pray. I need to spend some time with God about this issue. And what happens is then at the end of the day, man, you've spent so much time thinking about and praying to God about that circumstance. That's the idea of fasting. Would help us to be intentional in spending time between us and God. But in Jesus' day, when they were fasting, they'd walk into the lunchroom. And they'd see someone sitting there with a nice fat cheeseburger. And they'd be like, oh, that cheeseburger, it looks so good. I wish I could have a cheeseburger. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be righteous today. So I'm fasting before God. And, and, you know, that cheeseburger looks so good, but I'm righteous. I'm really good. I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm fasting today. And they would, they would make it look, hey, look how, how great I am. And they want everyone to know. You see the look on my face about how hungry I am. I'm, I'm so righteous because I'm, I'm, I'm setting that aside so I can be close to God. So everybody would notice that they're fasting, right? So everybody would say, wow, you're so spiritual. Look how close you are to God. Now you look at these examples. You look at the examples of... Uh, giving and and praying and fasting. And I'm not sure like any of us today, I'm not sure any of us are doing those things and like putting our hands up. Hey, look at me, I'm about to pray. I don't think anybody of us, when the offering is going to come by, I don't think we have a trumpet to blow. Hey, look at me, I'm going to put money in the offering. No one's jumping up and down, look how good I am. But aren't we a little bit more subtle with how we seek the approval and we want people to know what we're doing? I mean, how many of us have ever, you know, again, hypothetically, you get up early in the morning because you want to spend some time with God. And then you go see your friend later in the day and you're like, man, I'm so tired because I got up early to spend some time with the Lord. What was your purpose in saying that? Is it the recognition? Or sometimes we do this. Sometimes we, we, we go into social media. We go into Facebook. And we type in, hey, I, I read Romans chapter 1 today. And Paul is totally kicking my backside. Hashtag not ashamed. Now, some of you would say, well, I'm not posting that on Facebook to get noticed. Yeah, yeah, you are. That's what Facebook is about, is to get likes, is to get attention. This is why in Facebook, like, you never put the, the profile picture of you when you wake up at 6 in the morning and your hair is a mess. That's not your profile pic. What's your profile pic? It's the most creative one. It's the one that makes you look the best. That's why you don't post, uh, when, when you're posting a, a foodie pic... You don't, you don't post the top ramen that you made because you don't want to cook anything. You've, you post the fancy meals, right? And why do we do that? Because that's where we want people to, to see how good we are, to, to, to like us, to be drawn to us. This is where we're more subtle. I think social media probably is the biggest trumpet that we have. Social media is probably cooler than the old bumper sticker, you know, about your student being an honor student. student. 
But it's, it's the same thing. I want you to recognize me. I mean, have, have, maybe you've read that verse. I think it's in the Bible that says, what comes out of Facebook proceeds, proceeds from your heart. Like, any, any of you read that one? This is where, I love it when people are, are posting and they're going to fast. And they, they go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm going I'm to fast from Facebook for the, for the next two months. Sorry, guys. See you later. Like, well, why, 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 are you, why are you posting that on Facebook? Well, I'm posting that on Facebook in case somebody wants to get a hold of me. They know I'm not on Facebook. And I'm like, well, look at who your friends are on Facebook. Like, your best friend from third grade that you haven't actually talked to in 20 years, are they really going to be concerned with how to get a hold of you? I mean, are they really going to be like, oh, I can't get a hold of him. I wonder what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> this is where we have to take a hard look at our motives. What are we doing and why? Why are we posting that on social media? What are the ways in our life that we are seeking to get affirmation? Or we want people to think, Man, you're holy and you're righteous. You're a good Christian because you did these certain things. We were talking in life group this past week. And one of the things we were talking about is if a hypocrite is an actor, like the good ones, you can't tell. Like the good actors, like I've told you guys, I love stories. I love going to theater. I love going to the movies. And and, and the last one we saw was The Greatest Showman. And I know many of you have seen that. Some of you have seen that multiple times, right, Fred? And uh, I'm not picking on you. I just know you have. Like, I love that movie. And when you watch that movie, you just can't help but be, like, drawn in. I'd be like, yes, go Barnum. You want to sing and dance with him. You're like, yes, I love this. This is a great show. And, 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 and Hugh Jackman does such a good job that you just can't help but be drawn in. Listen, when... They're a good actor. You can't help but be fooled by what they're doing. You believe it. It's believable. The church, I know the church, we're supposed to hold each other accountable. Uh, We're supposed to, you know, walk through life together. But listen, do you know how easy it is to fool people? Even in church. Do you know how easy it is for us to fool people? For us to put the mask on and go through the motions of Christianity See, I'm a good Christian. I'm following God because I was at church every time the doors are open. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian because I, I, I put my, 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 my money in the offering and everybody saw it. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian because I did this or I did that. Listen, people, man, you can fool people. But you can't fool God. God looks right through you and sees your heart. And this is a passage that is out of God's grace. It forces us to ask questions that only you and I can answer. This is a passage that is going to force us to look inside of our heart to say, why do we do what we do? Is it really for the reason that we state? Is it really because we love God and we want to serve him? Or is it because we want people to think certain things of us? This is where Restoration Church... We have a saying that we say, it's okay to not be okay. And I want you to know that. Like, it is okay for you not to be okay. Like, you come into the church and you don't have it all put together. You don't know all the answers. You've got some sin in your life. Listen, it's okay. This is a place. It's okay for you not to be okay. It's okay to not have it all together. 
It's okay for you to still be in process of learning what it looks like for you to follow Christ. It's okay to struggle with sin at Restoration Church. But here's the thing. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Because this is what God does. When we can be honest with where we are, God begins to redeem. God begins to change us. He begins to change our heart from the inside out. And so we come in and we say, man, this is where I'm at. I don't have it all together. I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with this part of my life. And this is where we walk together and say, man, thank you for being honest. Because when you're honest, when you take the mask off, that's when Jesus can redeem you. And that's when Jesus can change you. And that's when Jesus says, listen, I came to give you freedom. Not to be a phony. Not to wear a mask. I came to give you abundant life. And that life isn't found behind a mask. It's found being honest with where we are and letting God change us. And when the longer we wear the mask, the less he can do in our life. Because the less we give him an opportunity to do. So this morning, it's one of those things, there's got to be some questions that we have to ask ourselves. Because sure, maybe someone else can spot hypocrisy, but it's, man, you can fool people. These are questions you have to ask yourself. You have to be willing to open up your heart. Listen, what area is God speaking to you right now when we talk about this issue of hypocrisy? What area of your life is God speaking to you right now? What area of life have you been putting on a mask, trying to hide your motives, trying to look better than you are, trying to not deal with things in your life? Where's that hypocrisy in your life? Listen, are you serving God? Are you going to church to make your wife happy, to make your spouse happy? Are you going to church because you're expected to? Are you going to church for the applause of men? Are you following God for the applause of heaven? What earthly rewards, what earthly approvals are you seeking? Listen, those things, are they greater than the reward that God has offered you? Of not just life, but abundant life, of freedom. Listen, those questions that we ask ourselves, this is where we need to spend just a couple minutes and pray and say, God, I need forgiveness in the area of my life. God, I need, I need you to help me to be authentic. To truly seek to live for the approval of one. For the approval of God and not be lost in the approval of people. There's a story in John chapter 3. Many of you guys know the story, the story of Nicodemus. One of my favorite stories. One of the stories that actually helped me to understand uh, when I wasn't a Christian, what Christianity was all about. This guy by the name of Nicodemus, he's a, he's a spiritual teacher, greatly respected by all the religious people. He, he did all the things, and people said, you're such a good person, I want to be like you. Well, Nicodemus began to see the emptiness of living a life focused on impressing other people. It's overwhelming. It never stops. There's not freedom in that. So one night, when Nicodemus could stand it no longer, he goes and he talks with Jesus. And Jesus taught him something that night. He said, listen, if you want your life to truly change, you have to meet the Father. 
You have to meet God the Father. You have to open your heart. You have to receive God's love. And when you do those things, listen, you're never going to be the same. When you come into a relationship with God, your life will never, ever be the, cha- be the same. It is, it is so real. It is so powerful. It is so life-changing. When you come into that counter with Jesus and you have a relationship with him, your life will never be the same. Listen, when people, when they jump through the hoops, when they they practice all the religious drills, when they go through the motions of looking like a spiritual person, so people pat them on the back and say, good, good Christian, good job. Listen, those people aren't bad people. They're just people who have never come to personally know God. See, freedom from hypocrisy is found when we come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because no longer do I have to earn approval. No longer do I have to earn acceptance. No longer do I have to earn my value to show I'm worth something. When you come into a relationship with God personally, not as a dictator that you have to please, but as a father who desires a relationship with you, He gives us a promise that he will walk through life with us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. He will never abandon us. Listen, that is life-changing. Because no longer does my acceptance come from what other people say about me. Now my acceptance comes from that father who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. No longer is my value in what I can bring and how people say how valuable I am. Now my value is what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And when that happens, it changes everything. When we come into that life-changing relationship with Christ, it changes everything. Frees us from having to wear the mask to look like we're something different. When you come to that life-changing relationship, now you can't help but want to serve. You can't help but want to give your life to Christ. The Apostle Paul, a guy who, again, knows what it's like to jump through the religious hoops, to to do whatever he could to please the religious leaders of the day. Listen, when he found Christ, you know the question was? You know the question he asked him? God, what do you want for my life now? What do you want me to do? Listen, that's the question we need to ask. It's not not what does other people say I need to do. Not as, what is everybody else doing that I need to do as well? But that question, God, what is it you want me to do? What is my next step? What do I need to do to pursue you and to follow you and to serve you?